0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got a big recap and a short preview coming up on today's edition a fantasy NBA today. What's happening, everybody? A happy Tuesday morning to you all. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and this is a HoopBall presentation. That's hoop-ball.com or follow at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. You guys have been taking my advice on that. I've seen the, the follows chunking over like an hour after I released the podcast. I know that's you guys. And if any of you still haven't gone over and followed fantasy on Twitter, please do so now. And if you're playing fantasy basketball, and I haven't done this a lot on this podcast because I've been generally, you know, I do my promos, I tell you guys what I think you ought to do. If you're playing fantasy basketball and you are not on Twitter, you are behind. And this is not, we're, we're not sponsored by Twitter or anything like that. Here's the thing, there are so many disturbing corners of Twitter and the internet. Just like violently disturbing corners of them. But if you cultivate the right things to follow, you can use Twitter for, I don't know if it's an—it's the intended purpose, but it's certainly the one that's useful for us, which is following beat writers, team accounts, team public relations accounts, team blogs, Places where you can get information that allows you to make fantasy decisions quicker than the other people in your league. So I would say now, go to Twitter.com. Make your account. You don't even need to put a picture up there. Just be an egg. Be a silhouette, whatever they use. I think it's still an egg, right? It used to be an egg. Be an egg profile picture. And follow me. Follow Hoopball Fantasy, And start following different accounts. And honestly, if you need help with this I'm happy to assist but the easiest way is just go look at the people that I'm following on Twitter. Now you'll you'll you know browse past some folks that are friends I had in high school or you know other other people that I know from uh, my personal side of things and then when I worked in minor league baseball. But I would say I follow like 800 900 people on Twitter and the vast majority 80% at least are NBA-related accounts. Beat writers, team accounts, things that bring me my information so fast that I can make fantasy decisions better. So get on Twitter, follow most of the people I'm following, your life will improve. Follow me, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and follow at Hoopball Fantasy for your fantasy blurb feed. So there you go. That's my PSA. You guys got to get on social media because fantasy is just zipping past you at this point. Like if you're waiting for an article to come out, or frankly, even my podcast, which I love the fact that all of you guys listen to it every day. It it's, means the world to me. It's the thing I work the hardest on at Ball among the 9,000 things I'm working on. So this like your continued listenership is truly tremendous and remarkable, and I love it. But Twitter is actually more important. You can make decisions quicker. I don't do a podcast in the middle of games at the end of the night. So get on there. Get on there. Stop goofing around. Follow the people I'm following. You'll be happy you did. We have a big recap. A lot of games to go over on Monday. Although, you know, the same story as usual. Some of them were postponed. And we ended up with nine. I think there was supposed to be 11. We ended up with nine. Meh. Annoying, but that's the way things are going right now. I'll tell you what. The... The Spurs-Pelicans postponement has me equal parts worried and hopeful, and I don't know which direction to go with that yet. Let me explain myself before we dive into the actual uh, individual box scores and fantasy accomplishments from Monday night. We have no idea... What the two different... I mean, these are two teams that came from different places. If this was a a, a revenge or a rematch set, we've talked about in the show a lot, when teams play each other two times in a row, it would make a whole hell of a lot more sense. But the Spurs had just come from playing the Wizards on Sunday. They played the Mavericks way back on Friday. And they were supposed to have a back-to-back. Supposed to go Sunday-Monday. They, they hosted the Wizards at home, and then they were going to play the Pelicans in New Orleans, and they didn't go. And on the New Orleans side, they had just finished up in horrific six-game road trip where they went one and five, and they had just played the Timberwolves on Saturday, so they did have a game off in between things, and the news that came out said that neither team had enough players to play due to contact tracing. So what in the hell happened? What in the hell happened? And and another reason for me to say what in the hell happened is that the Wolves, the last team the Pelicans played on Saturday, they did play last night. And uh, the Spurs... Well, I don't believe that their, their opponent did not play last night. The Wizards played tonight in Houston, but we haven't heard anything about that game being canceled. So presumably... This had nothing to do with the recent opponents for the two teams. So I ask you all, and I think I'm actually getting decent at reading the tea leaves with stuff like this. Like, you know, when there's one player who gets listed in health and safety protocols, we can usually assume it's something on the personal side. When there's a few players on the same team, you can usually assume it's team-related and they're going to miss multiple games. I don't... I, I, I have no idea what's going on with this one. How in the world are two Separate teams that hadn't seen each other, they said neither one had enough players for, to actually run the basketball game. I've got to believe, I have to believe that we were given slightly faulty information in that perhaps, this is me, and this is not like conspiracy theorism, this is the NBA trying to figure out how to give information without giving away too much to the general public, us, my theory here is that one of these two teams had a positive test or inconclusive test or something to that effect. And so they just wiped the game out. My guess then would be it's the Pelicans, if the Wizards actually play tonight, that the Pels had a positive test that came back positive perhaps from the morning of testing or the off day testing but that no one came back positive from the day they played the Timberwolves or that game would have gotten pulled off the board as well. So presumably the Pels got tested on Sunday or first thing Monday morning. One of those tests probably came back positive and they just said, you know what, you know, we don't know what the hell this team's been up to. We don't know if if there's been an exposure with the rest of this team. So we're just going to cancel the game and we're going to say no one had the right number of players. I could be totally wrong. In fact, there's probably like a 90% chance I'm wrong. But the fact, I mean, that, that they said both teams, neither team had enough players due to contact tracing and the Wolves still got to play and we haven't heard anything about the Wizards game tonight and I, I flipped that in my head because the Spurs play the Wizards. So it's, it, the Pels play the Timberwolves. The fact that the Timberwolves got to play makes me think that nothing from over the weekend was actually at fault. So something came back yesterday morning that, Canceled the game. But how could it possibly be both sides independent of one another? That doesn't make any sense at all. Especially with the Wolves being allowed to play. And especially with the fact that Washington-Houston is still on the board for tonight. I don't get it. I don't get it. So, so... Let's dive into a recap because that that one's, still, that one's got my, my brain all twisted up. Orlando beat Charlotte in a revenge game, and this one was a perfect one because it had all the right setup for each team to get one ball game. First one, Orlando was in their first game back home. They fell apart in the second half. They just sort of ran out of gas. Charlotte came back and beat them. Uh, their key guys didn't play all that well. Charlotte got a 40-burger out of Hayward the night before, and so we went Orlando on our wager. And it ended up being a relatively easy winner. Magic led by double digits pretty much the entire second half. Hayward played well again, and he's he's a top 20. He's a second rounder this year. That's just who he is. Terry Rozier, hoop ball sixer, having a brilliant, very late draft campaign. Rozier was drafted in like the 115 range, and where the heck is that dude right now? 43 in 9-cat. That might taper off a little bit with the 47% shooting but 74% free throws, that probably comes up. And overall, he's just having a really good season. That's a great hoop ball sixer. One of the things I was watching in this game, and, and maybe the only thing I was watching, was what impact does Cody Zeller have on the rest of the big men? Because we knew Bismack Biyombo is eventually going to get phased mostly out. But now that there are two traditional centers on the roster, what does that do largely to P.J. Washington, because Bismack wasn't worth using anyway, but Washington was. when Kind of when Zeller went down, and then they had to start playing P.J. at center a little bit more, he launched himself into great fantasy value. Well, he had a terrible ball game yesterday. I mean, I think you can chalk one bad game up to just sort of whatever. P.J., number 112 on the season right now, largely due P.J. Washington and Darius Baisley remind me of each other quite a bit in terms of their fantasy stat set. P.J. a little bit more on the defensive side, Baisley a little bit more rebounding, but otherwise pretty similar. Just two guys that have all this fantasy upside, but the percentages are are like a boulder in the ocean for these dudes. So if Zeller now, who ramped up to 18 minutes yesterday, and, and at some point he'll probably take the starting job, and, and he and Bismack, but together... Those two guys chewed up 45 of the 48 center minutes, which left only 3 if they wanted to use it on him for PJ. And that's not enough. We need him getting 7-8 minutes at center, which also would allow Washington to get, you know, closer to the 28-29 minutes of ball game that he had been at recently. And so this is this is concerning. Now, playing against uh Vooch you're sort of forced to go to a more traditional big man because PJ would have gotten obliterated in that matchup vooch ended up wearing him out anyway so kind of didn't work Orlando relatively big in the front court they run Kem Birch as their backup center and he's uh, a big guy not giant but pretty powerful I do think PJ bounces back for Charlotte in their next ball game or it's certainly a soon ball game but This is something to monitor. A healthy Cody Zeller has historically made Charlotte a a much better team. So it's a big man that can actually kind of get out and run a little bit. But he also never stays healthy for more than a month at a time. So, you know, whatever we find out probably vanishes soon. I remain generally out on the Miles Bridges thing. He's number 120, and that seems like that's probably about where he's going to cruise for most of the year. That, by the way, is startable in an unlimited games nine-cat, 12-team league where you're starting three or four bench guys. But in a game's cap, you want more. You want more than top 120. And uh, that eliminates, frankly, a lot of guys who, in my estimation, they're just there's, there's no real upward trajectory for him here. So Charlotte was an interesting one. That was a lot to watch there. LaMelo Ball remains, in my estimation, kind of a buy low. He's in a lull right now, a rookie lull. And he will snap out of it because his game is pretty sweet. Uh, So stick with P.J. I think it'll be okay, uh, but definitely monitor it. On the Orlando side, Cole Anthony had 21 in this game, which was very surprising, if only because Aaron Gordon was back, so they were running more of their offense through Gordon, who went uh, atrocious 4 for 10 at the free throw line. But otherwise, he looks great in that point-forward job. 12 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 threes, and a block for A.G., but that, oof, those... I mean, his percentage is also quite bad, but you you can't be going four for ten at the foul line. The surprising note here is that Anthony got 12 shots and made four three-pointers. He remains a guy that needs to be on rosters. There's no change. You guys have heard me say it now probably nine times on this podcast. Must own, but not must start. Kind of the same story for Terrence Ross right now, who remains in a brutal shooting slump, but at least had four defensive stats to... Make up for it a little bit. Yeesh. Man, that dude is cold. Woof. Evan Fournier, who we never really logged as a like very good basketball player, has made Orlando so much better by coming back from his back spasms. He's averaging 18, 2, and 4 this year. His assists are up with no point guard on that team. Uh, Fournier actually has top 70 upside now and he could end up being a really nice draft day, kind of late old man style grab, like usual, the same old story. Anyway, we spent a lot of time on this first ball game because the next one, uh, we don't need quite as much time. Philadelphia was without Joel Embiid, so pretty much throw out the Philly side. For Detroit, Delon Wright has come alive. We had already talked about him last week as a re-add kind of guy because he'd been sort of revving things up. He's up to number 91, by the way, in nine category leagues right now. And he's still only averaging nine points a game on 43% shooting. So there's actually significant upside beyond that. I would be floored if DeLon Wright was not universally rostered in your fantasy leagues at this point. Like, if he's he's not on a team, y'all got to get into a better league because he's been so good lately. And this was sort of the all right, this now you've run out of time. He will take a step back when Derrick Rose comes back. He'll take another step back probably when Killian Hayes comes back, but that could be months. And he just looks confident now, which is a really big deal. Meanwhile, Jeremy Grant still trucking, and our recent hot pickup from Friday's show, Wayne Ellington, had six more three-pointers in this game. He is blindingly hot right now. Wayne Ellington on a run... Of 7 4 6 4 6 three pointers, his last five ball games. That is 27 threes in five games. What a huge deal that makes for a roto league in particular. To be able to get that many three pointers out of, out of that few games and on hot field goal percent, massive, massive difference maker. I'm, I have a team where I was very nearly punting threes, and Wayne Ellington has brought them back almost single handedly. So that was a good one we found last week. Toronto at Indiana. Um, Kyle Lowry was back, but was he back really? Picked up a foul late and got ejected, I think. I thought he had fouled out, but then some of the box scores say he only had five fouls. I thought he had six, so inconclusive. Norman Powell, still the streamer option here with Pascal Siakam out. Just keep running Powell into your lineup as long as one guy is out for Toronto. And as soon as everybody's back, then you probably stop. So, you got that. Indiana side, uh, Demontis Sabonis hurt his knee and did not return. Uh, I think he left midway through the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, and Indiana somehow managed to still hang on and win this ball game, uh, largely due to Jeremy Lamb, and we'll get to him in a second. If Sabonis misses any time, I would say Miles Turner gets to do more, but dude's been so damn good anyway, so who cares there? Doug McDermott cooled off after a heater because T.J. McConnell actually ended up soaking up extra minutes in this one. They kind of matched the Raptors' small backcourt. And if T.J. McConnell plays 28 minutes, he's a must-roster guy, but I don't think this is happening again anytime soon. The bigger story here is that Jeremy Lamb, who only played 19 minutes the previous night, soaked up everything his body could handle in this one, played 33 minutes and had 22.7 boards, a steal, 5-for-5 five five on free throws, which has always been one of his really really key upward markers on his fantasy numbers uh three three pointers maybe jeremy lamb is expanding his range a little bit this is far faster than we expected him to get rolling i mean we're talking about four games in off a a giant injury last year and he's crushing it and i have him in a couple of places able to stash him in i think like two of my five money leagues so i'll i'll certainly take it and but so he's number 44 limited sample size of course but 25 minutes a game uh there's no reason that number can't go higher even if the other stuff does come down uh jeremy lamb looks great he looks great uh justin holiday cooled off but he still played 30 minutes here so uh no change to that valuation as long as both karis lavert and tj warren remain out Brooklyn and Miami had no energy. I mean, this like we can say the teams played good defense, but it was just a clang fest on almost all accounts. I am not making many adjustments to my Miami stuff, but I am hereby noting that it looks like Kelly Olynyk has kind of run out of steam. The whole team generally has, particularly the guys that didn't miss time due to uh, the the COVID outbreak on the Miami roster. Like Duncan Robinson, he's running out of gas. Kelly Olynyk's running out of gas. And the guys that were okay, Bam, Goran Dragic, were guys that missed a few games in there. So they're not quite as run down as their teammates. Uh, when Miami finally has an opportunity to rest a little bit, get some of their guys back, I think maybe you do see an adjustment back up for these dudes. But I'm actually okay with moving on from Olynyk at least in the short term. But keep a very close watch on that, because he's still starting. He just has nothing in his legs right now. He looks cooked. Brooklyn looked really tired too aside from James Harden who had well a very important game. This game was uh, a one point game. Brooklyn led Miami 81 to 80 halfway through the fourth quarter and then they outscored Miami 17 to 5 over the final 6 minutes and it just like this game was a lot closer than that final score would indicate. Jeff Green played 34 minutes again. He looks like the center to own right now even though Deandre Jordan as the the more traditional big man has the easier path to fantasy value. But between those two guys, I think Jeff green's your dude to look at 10 and five with a steal, missed his three pointers in a rare twist, but did go six for six at the foul line. He's a low, I mean, he's a plodding late round big man, but oftentimes that's useful, especially in an unlimited games format. So uh, Jeff green is your guy. Am I dropping Deandre Jordan? No, not yet but his minutes do appear to be trending down as greens have trended up, and it looks like it's tipping in that direction. Lakers and Cavs ended up having a bit of a tight one, certainly tighter than they expected, so LeBron took over against his old team, hometown cooking. 46-8-6 and, 46, eight and six for the King. Two steals, two blocks, seven three-pointers. Anthony Davis was cold. 17-10, four assists, three steals, and three blocks, so obviously still... Able to float his numbers all right. And then Montrezl Harrell, who's sort of your other guy on L.A. that tends to be inside the cut line, and that's it. Lakers, nothing changed there. Cavside was a team we were watching to mostly get a feel for who was going to get the playing time and what they were going to do with it, and they spread the wealth around, which is exactly what we don't want from a fantasy team. Colin Sexton had some foul issues or he most likely would have played additional minutes. Darius Garland, as he's ramping back into game shape, got up to 26 minutes here and had 11 and 5. If you can buy low on Garland right now, I would. I think perhaps his owners are thinking maybe this is what's going to happen going forward. But more than likely, Isaac Okoro or Jetty Osman will move back to the bench. That'll allow Garland to slot in as the point guard and slide Colin Sexton up to the starting shooting guard role. Uh, Osman's actually been surprisingly good so far this year, but we all know that the other shoe's about to drop. He's still number 154 overall because his percentages are terrible, and he doesn't do enough stuff to cancel that out. So no, I don't care about Jetty having another big ball game offensively. I'm more interested in how the, the minutes get spread around. And for Osman, who doesn't have a good fantasy stat set anyway... He played the second most minutes on the team to Isaac Okoro. Andre Drummond played 28 minutes and was pretty damn effective in them. Jared Allen played 29 minutes, but wasn't all that effective. JaVale McGee played 13. Larry Nance was out with a sprained wrist. Kevin Love remains out. And we don't really have a timeline on that as well. So this, it gave Jared Allen and Andre Drummond an opportunity to play a little bit more minutes uh, to to Increase their number with no Nance on the floor. Torian Plintz uh, started and played 25 minutes, but I do think some of that was also Larry Nance related. So I'm not adding or dropping anybody from this team from this ball game, but I want us to keep a very close watch on the Cavaliers once they start to get back to full strength, because things could get very jammed up. I don't know if anybody sort of, at least on the wing side, elevates themselves, and then even towards the front court, how does that get split up? Denver and Dallas, a couple of teams that were also a little bit tired, but instead of the Brooklyn-Miami result, these two tired teams ended up scoring a bunch because uh, nobody really felt like playing any defense. And that's great for fantasy purposes because Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic went big. Jamal Murray got ejected in this ball ballgame. Uh, so his slightly diminished line, you can blame on that. The others on Denver are beginning to all wipe each other out. Now that the Nuggets are generally healthy... The others I would classify as Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Monty Morris, Gary Harris, and Jermichael Green. There are five non-obvious starters for fantasy purposes on this team. And lately, Jamichael Green and, to a slightly lesser extent, Gary Harris have actually been the most trustworthy among those guys. But unfortunately, it still hasn't been enough. You know, Jamichael Green kind of needs someone to be out for him to reach fantasy potential. I like what he's done so far. He's, you know, eleven points, six and a half rebounds, but you know, two, three pointers a game is also nice, but he's not getting any steals or blocks. And twenty-one minutes is where he's sitting right now. That's just, unfortunately, not really enough for him to do fantasy damage. He needs he needs a few more. Twenty-one is close. You know, he's one fifty range in twenty-one minutes. If he could get up to twenty-five. He'd probably be a top 100 guy, but he's most likely not getting to that level. And then Gary Harris, who seems like the only guy among that group whose minutes are safe in the 30s, he doesn't do anything with them. He's an on-the-floor-for-extended-minutes-just-garden people. That's his his role at this point. So Will Barton, who probably could do something if he was playing 30 minutes a game, not getting 30 minutes, and also potentially not 100% healthy, and Paul Millsap getting old real fast, has been mostly phased out. I think you can probably drop all of those guys, uh, though I'll admit Barton is the last one to drop just because he actually has a little bit of upside, and we've seen him play enough minutes to to get there for stretches, just not consistently. He's now outside the top 150 with terrible percentages and just sort of not enough roll to make up for it. Is it possible that Barton gets his field goal percent back up into the mid-40s? Historically, maybe the Steels come back up over one. Because there is a world there where, you know, if he adds another eighth to his scoring stats and get him up into that, you know, 13 points, 1.7, 1.6, 1.7, three-pointers type of thing, I mean, he could elevate pretty quickly. But as he is right now, he does not belong in starting lineups. So I'll give you the option here. I don't know that it's a, a clear drop, but it's certainly getting close. Dallas just needs people back at this point. Luka Doncic trying to do it all himself, and he simply cannot. Tim Hardaway Jr. is still mostly worth starting, at least while, this, while most of this team is out injured. Uh, Hardaway at number 130 on the year because his percentages have been falling kind of precipitously, but not a drop. Because, you know, he can get hot for a week, and that 130 becomes top 80 in a couple of ball games, And then nobody else is trustworthy on this team right now. Jalen Brunson has been your streaming option lately. Trey Burke is sort of in and out of being mildly useful. They just, they just need guys back. Dorian Finney-Smith, Josh Richardson, Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba. I mean, we're talking about four rotation guys on that Dallas team that they've generally— I mean, they've basically been without them for two weeks. Boston blew out Chicago. Daniel Tice had a big ball game. I think you can go ahead and add him at this point. I think he moved from watch list to add with 28 minutes in this ball game. I will say, though, and it's a weird thing to to compare these two, I think Daniel Tice saw additional minutes partly because Kemba Walker was out, so they were able to slide everybody down a ticket. Marcus Smart went from shooting guard to point guard. Jalen Brown down to shooting guard. Jason Tatum down to small forward. Where with Kemba around... Those four guys are starting, which means unless you bring Marcus Smart off the bench, but I don't I think they'll probably start their their key guys, which means Tyson Thompson are pretty much going to be fighting and Robert Williams over the center minutes, and it might wipe them all out. But you can't miss the boat here. So add Tice, and if in Boston's next game, when they're finally back at full strength for the first time in forever, if Tice still plays big minutes, great, you had him on your roster. If he doesn't, you can probably part ways pretty quickly this is we're gonna get enough data by the next ball game on this one Chicago side uh they just didn't have a very good ball game they didn't defend well they didn't get to the free throw line and when they did they missed them they turned the ball over a bunch nice to see Thaddeus Young have a big ball game I wish he'd get moved to a place where he could play this type of minutes every night but it's not gonna happen in Chicago Otto Porter, uh, 23 minutes off the bench. I don't like that number for him, but he did a lot with them, so I'm keeping him on my roster for now. Garrett Temple's actually been pretty good off the bench as well. I have to wonder if there's a change coming at some point, because Patrick Williams started but played only 10 minutes. Do they put Otto Porter back in the starting lineup? Does Garrett Temple maybe jump in there? Kobe White's been kind of bad. He has these big games where he pops every once in a while, but... No defensive stats at all. And, you know, for as well as Chicago's playing, it seems like a lot of what they're doing well is depth-related. Like I like the Bulls. They're they're kind of fun this year. Zach Levine seems to have taken a step forward. Larry Markkinen is back to being Larry Markkinen. They're trying to keep Otto Porter healthy all year, pretty clearly, because he's better than the guys that are trotting out there, but it seems like they don't want to play him a ton of minutes because the last time they did, he hurt his back. So we'll see. Keep a close watch on the Bulls. There could be a little bit of a changing of the guard here at some point. And the late games last night, the Thunder, that was one of our wagers also, beat the Blazers. Mike Muscala had six three-pointers in this game. This is the only place he can play, I guess, is Oklahoma City. Shea looked really good uh, aside from missing a bunch of free throws late. I think he went one for four in crunch times uh, free throws, or this would have been a really nice ball. line for Shea. Uh, no George Hill, no Al Horford. George was resting the back-to-back. Horford's been out for personal stuff for a while now. Darius Baisley finally had a slightly better shooting ball game with 19-7, and 7, but still missed a couple of free throws. No defensive stats was a little weird for him. And, you know, the thing about Baisley, and I, I, I think we spent a bunch of time on him on yesterday's podcast, I do still think he's a stash, but it's very possible that he doesn't become fantasy truly relevant until next year. He's outside the top 200 right now in 29 minutes a game, so it's not like playing time is going to be the difference maker here. It's percentages. He's a medium-volume 40% shooter from the field and a low-volume 74% at the free-throw line. There's, there are two big issues with his fantasy game. If you're going to score and rebound, get some threes and a couple of blocks here and there, that's great but you can't be a net negative in so many other spots. But if those percentages come around at all, he leaps up the board fast, lightning fast. So I don't know that you can drop him. I kind of feel the same way about Lou Dort, who kind of goes in and out of actually having usage or not on any given night. I don't know that you can just dump these guys because there's so much potential But, I mean, they really spread the wealth around yesterday. You know, 12 shots for Muscala, 12 for Shea, 11 for Roby and Basley, 7 for Kenny Hustle, Dort, Theo Maladon, no, Maladon. Excuse me, I'll get that right. Theo Maladon. And uh, 8 for Hamadou Diallo, who was kind of running the point in the second unit and then missed five free throws. They had a free throw shooting situation in Oklahoma City yesterday. They would have run away with this ball game. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think you have to hold on to Dort and Baisley, but I don't know that you can start them. At least not unless they have a big games advantage over somebody else. On the Portland side, I mean, Ennis Cantor just keep trotting him out there. He just keeps putting up good lines. He'll, I think he'll run out of gas a little bit at some point here, but, you know, he's going to be an easy top 80 center for as long as Nurk is out, and he's running above that right now. If you can sell him for a top 50 type of guy, I would do it. I don't think you can, though. Meanwhile, Portland, they were not spreading the wealth around the way that the Thunder were. They were very much clustered in four main guys. Uh, Dame had 26. Simons had 26. But, yeah, you're not buying into that nonsense. Gary Trent had 22. He got hot, scored a lot. Carmelo Anthony had 22. Derek Jones Jr. played 27 minutes but didn't really do anything with them. Rodney Hood was out for this ballgame. And, I mean, we're seeing what Portland is with a bunch of their guys hurt. They're a team that isn't going to play much defense. I mean, Oklahoma City was getting an open shot on almost every single possession. It was a miracle that the Blazers were even close in this game. And if Portland is laying more than a possession to pretty much anyone, I'm fading them right now. I mean, they they need whopper offensive performances to win basketball games right now. And they will every once in a while because nothing is set in stone and the NBA is a bit unpredictable. But... If you're leaving guys as open as they left the Thunder for most of yesterday's game, you're going to lose a lot. No Rocco concussion protocol now. I'm still holding on to him, and maybe this explains something. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he comes back from concussion protocol, and and he's got his touchback. Like Maybe a break is what actually fixes him. I will say this for Portland. For as long as Rocco and McCollum and Nurk are out, Carmelo Anthony is a must-own fantasy player. And you might get a couple of weeks out of this. He's going to take a ton of shots, which is not great for your field goal percent, but usage is value. He's going to score a bunch. He's somehow finding his way into steals and blocks. He's going to get you five, six rebounds a game if he's playing starters minutes. I don't know as long, how long his body can handle it, but they're going to ask him to do it probably for a couple of weeks, at least until Rocco comes back. One week, I don't know, two and he still might actually be useful even after that while McCollum is out. But we'll take that sort of, you know, moment by moment. The, the field goal percent is going to hurt. But right now, Carmelo Anthony, his last three games, despite shooting 34% from the field, is actually a top 80 guy over that stretch. Or two games, I guess. Was only They had a couple games postponed. And then before that, if you include the previous one, it doesn't really move the needle very much in the downward direction either. I don't know how long he can keep up the steals and blocks. He's, you know, he's LaMarcus Aldridge-ing things, slapping it on the way up, doing these weird swinging over the top where he's catching it with a finger. And it's working for him. And heaven forbid he actually gets on a little bit of a heater. So, yeah, add all the mellows. It's that time, man. It's Carmelo season. It's crazy. What a time. Warriors blew out the Wolves. Ricky Rubio played 26 minutes. That was the guy we were watching in this one with no D'Angelo Russell again. I want to see what Rubio does with D'Angelo Russell, but I will say this. After being pretty much decidedly out on Ricky Rubio most of this year, uh, if somehow this D'Angelo absence is what thrusts him into more permanent playing time, I wouldn't want to be a guy that missed it. So if you have a spot... Call him a speculative ad. I bet D'Angelo's back for their rematch with the Warriors tomorrow. I bet he's playing in that one. And then we'll see. What does Rubio do? Do his minutes trend back down to 22? And his touches trend down and his assists trend down? Because when he's more this primary point guard type, I don't even care that he wasn't taking many shots. He got 11 assists yesterday. And they won the previous game against uh, the Pelicans. They lost this one big by 22. So, I mean, what does that say? Are they better? Do they want is this going to be the thing that says, Oh, Rubio needs to be running the point more? I don't know, but again, I don't want to miss it if this is indeed the thing. Malik Beasley, he's going to get a lot of shots while everybody else is out. Jared Vanderbilt, who we thought was going to be this incredible streamer last week, has now finally kind of moved into a more uh, predictable streaming role with no Carl Anthony Towns. But of course, as this team gets healthy. He becomes mostly irrelevant. I got a question on Twitter why Jared Vanderbilt is not going to be relevant once Cat comes back because he's playing power forward. Well, uh, you know, some of that is just floor spacing. They're not—Vanderbilt plays like a center. I know he's playing power forward because Nas Reed was playing center, but he plays like a center. He's not a floor spacer. He's not shooting the outside shot. He wants to be near the rim, and teams nowadays just want spacing. And so that's going to make it kind of hard. I will say this, though, and we've talked about this on this podcast, and we talked about it a bunch on The Real Big Three with my buddies Jonas and uh, Bogman. If Vanderbilt can somehow keep his minutes above 20, he's probably worth hanging on to. So where you're at right now is kind of a stream with upside. So to speak, where you can stream him as long as Cat is out, you can stream Vanderbilt because he's just rolling in defensive stats right now. They, I mean, he's had what is he at now? Ten steals his last five ball games and uh, six blocks his last five ball games. Pretty much since Cat went down, that's that's a, basically that run. I think he had one real clunker mixed in there, something like that. I might be getting that exact timeline wrong. So I would have no problem. With you guys adding Jared Vanderbilt. And then when Cat comes back, just sit on him for like two games. And see what happens. Let's play that game. Sit on him for a game or two. See what happens. So that that to me actually makes a lot of sense. I might even do that while we're talking on the podcast. Pick him up. See where he's at. it all goes to hell, you drop him. No big deal, right? No big deal. But right now, he's he's rolling. And so you might as well just kind of roll right along with him. I don't know. It's one of those things, like, you just, you never know. Maybe he, maybe he keeps his spot. Or maybe he plays 22 minutes. That's still probably enough for him. Maybe not. If he doesn't, you punt. You move along to the next thing. Warriors are pretty predictable these days. Uh, James Wiseman is pretty much a drop if you can't sit on this type of thing all season long. And and look, here's the reason that I can pretty safely call Wiseman a drop. The Warriors want to compete. They're 9-8. and eight. They're currently the 8th seed in the Western Conference. They're going to want to be in that mix. They don't want this to be a wasted year. If this was going to be a wasted year they would just trot him out there for 25, 30 minutes a game. And yes, I do think he slowly does more as the season rolls along. But more than what we're at right now doth not a fantasy player make. He's number 203 and trending down. Sorry, guys. I think he's probably out. The only other question on the Warriors is, is Draymond Green going to be a fantasy value this year? And the jury is very much out on that one. He makes them so much better with his play, but it really isn't translating to fantasy anymore. Steals and blocks are way down, f- percentages not good. He's out there to anchor the defense and facilitate on offense, and it's going to be up to Steph, Wiggins, and Ubre to score, basically. And yesterday, they very much did, because everybody scores against Minnesota. Who doesn't? Steph, big game, 36 Wiggins, 23, 6 defensive stats. Oubre, 14, 6, 4, 4 defensive stats. I haven't looked up those guys in a little bit. I think Wiggins has actually been pretty good this year. He's number 75, despite a bad free throw percent. He's been able to float that with, uh, well, basically defensive stats. And Kelly Oubre, still at number 172 on the year, shooting 35.5% from the field. That is, I would have called him still a buy low, but I don't, I don't feel like anybody that has Ubre feels as wronged as they were by him before. He's actually been inside the top one hundred the last two weeks, still shooting by thirty-eight and a half percent over that stretch. But I mean, the upside is so very clear. I don't, I don't know what it would take to get him. But if you could throw out like a Joe Harris, who's been pretty damn good so far this year, Harris, where the hell's he been lately? Joe, 85 over the last two weeks, right around 80 over the season. I don't know if it would get the job done, but it might. And if you can, I would. We'll see. All right, that's your big Monday recap. Uh, uh, <laughs> recap, huh? Learn how to talk, Dan. Pivoting towards Tuesday, but first, of course, I want to thank our buddies at mybookie.ag once again. We remind you every day on the podcast to join us in our gambling endeavors here at Ball. You guys know me. I worked for pregame. It's a sports betting, sports handicapping website uh, back in 2009, 10, and 11. I've been betting sports for a very long time. I have a pretty, pretty good feel for the NBA. Back then, I did a lot of sports, but uh, not all the other sports anymore. So follow us. Follow us. Follow me. I don't care who you follow. Pick one of our seven handicappers or pick all seven. Here at Hoopball, and go to mybookie.ag, open an account using promo code hoopball, make that first deposit, and start playing along with us. It's it's really like it's such a quick and painless process. Mybookie.ag is the website. Promo code is hoopball, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. You put that in on the third page of signup. It unlocks a 50% deposit match bonus if you'd like to use that. There are some rollover requirements there. Even if you don't use it, at least it tells them who sent you. And then the wager pass at HoopBall, which is 33 cents a day, gets you betting analysis from seven analysts at Ball, myself included, every single day. So each daily thread is basically worth 33 cents. It's about 10 bucks a month. Two days ago, we all went nine and one combined. This is a massacring. Yesterday, uh, I rolled out a three and one day. We won on Orlando, Indiana, Oklahoma City, lost with the Heat after their late meltdown. That was unfortunate. Could have gone four and oh. Two and zero the previous day. Little five and one run going for me over here. It's just it's fun, man. Don't you don't want to try to win a house overnight. It's slow, methodical winning over the long haul. And our team handicaps every single major sport. Football, basketball, college football, college basketball, hockey, MMA, soccer, you name it, we handicap it. That's 9 99 at hoop the wager pass, or the HoopBall360 membership, which gets you that, and the fantasy pass. All of those come with Discord access. So you can talk to the analysts about our betting throughout the day. What are we looking at? What do we think about some of your plays? That's all included in the monthly membership. So go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, choose wager pass, and get it. Then go open up an account over at mybookie.ag and play with us. Although I will say, I don't have any plays tonight. I don't like this betting card. (laughs) But do it anyway. Come on, let's get it going. There's a dozen games tomorrow, so there's like a 99% chance I'm going to have at least one play, probably more. And I'd love it if you guys came along for the ride. It, It... one of the things about sports betting, and then we'll move on and, and preview our short Tuesday card here because we're, we're getting towards the end of the rope, is if you're paying, and a lot of websites out there charge $25, $30 per day to get their sports betting information, that, by the way, not sustainable. That's called a tout. And I we have to tout a little bit here because you got to sell something. But that's called being a tout. You sell thirty a $30 play. Uh, every day, unless somebody's betting about 10 times more than what they're spending on the play they're buying, you cannot win if you're spending that much. You're spending $30 on on the play and you're putting $50 on the bet. You're you're guaranteed to lose long-term because you just can't win a high enough percentage to cover what you're spending on the play. If you're spending 33 cents... On a card that has 10, 15, 20 plays on it, it's negligible. It's negligible. That's why this is okay. You're getting analysis, and you're getting 10, 15, 20 plays almost every single day for 33 cents. That is the wager pass at hoop-ball.com. Again, go there, click on the fantasy, or the uh, premium tab, excuse me, choose wager pass, jump on board with us, open an account at mybookie.ag with promo code hoopball. And finally... And I did this on yesterday's show. If any of you out there, this is recruiting for our gaming division week. If any of you guys out there, we got a couple of apps in yesterday. If any of you guys out there are big into sports betting and you haven't really tried the analyst side of the coin before, come on over. We're training. We're growing. We we want people that have the passion but haven't really been trained to be a tout because that's not who we want. We want folks that have been betting forever, and are comfortable and confident and winners. But we want you guys to present your information to people the right way. That's what we want to do here at HoopBall. So hit me up. Send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Or bug me on Twitter at Dan vespers. Let me know that you'd like to apply to be part of our HoopBall gaming division. Now, finally, you guys stuck with me there on the, the, the promo section in the middle of the podcast. Clippers are at Atlanta. Of course, the big news from yesterday, we kind of buried the lead here. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in health and safety protocols for the Clippers. This feels like it's something team-related. If there's two guys, two superstars at the same damn time, really big deal. Because if no one else on the Clippers goes into health and safety protocols, that means their games will not be postponed. And that means that uh, Kawhi and PG are going to be missing games here, which is a Fat disappointment, because those dudes were playing in back-to-backs this year. That's a kick in the nads. For the Clippers, you can probably stream guys like Marcus Morris Sr., Luke Kennard, maybe even Lou Williams. You'll know by watching tonight's game, and you don't even really have to get out in front of it if you don't want to. You can just watch tonight's game in Atlanta and say, oh, cool, that guy's going to be good the rest of the week. Atlanta... Uh, Let's see what Gallo's minutes look like tonight. He was up in the 18-19 range last time around. Does he get up on over 20 in this one? Clint Capella, Trey Young, are they back in the lineup for this ballgame? Line is Atlanta by 5. I would actually take the Clippers if anything here, but I don't think I'm betting anything on the card tonight. A lot of fantasy stuff to watch there for streaming purposes and for uh, Gallo sit-start purposes. Washington. I don't think anybody else is back for the Wizards tonight. I think it's going to be the same group that got beat up in San Antonio. Houston favored by three and a half. I believe Christian Wood is out. Last I saw, he was doubtful. I don't know if they've made it official yet. John Wall in, I believe. Victor Oladipo in, I believe, unless something happens while we're talking here, which means Houston now finally kind of getting closer. Is Daniel House back as well? Maybe. Maybe. He's near. They're getting closer to actually being at full strength. When they are, my real question isn't so much, like, does anyone on the wing actually separate themselves? I'm inclined to think the answer is no there. But do they ever run a boogie Wood front court? That remains the question, and we may not get our answer tonight if Wood is still out. For Washington, I don't know. I mean, you're not going to dive in too deep here until they get their pieces back, so it's going to be a whole lot of Bradley Beal, and uh, there's there's a Russ revenge angle here for Houston if you're into that sort of thing. Probably better for a player prop type deal, but we also don't know how many minutes he's gonna play. I would lean to Washington, by the way, in this ball game. I know the line is quite short. Uh Houston has been has won a couple games in a row. Um but I, I do I think Washington plays better in this one. I think they hang tough in a high scoring game. Knicks are in Utah I would love to take an 11.5-point underdog, but not against the Jazz right now. They are just crushing teams. Jazz have won eight games in a row. They're third place in the Western Conference, and they've looked every bit of it. Just beating the hell out of teams. Like, not close ball games. It's not actually that dissimilar from what the Lakers were doing for a stretch there, where they were just sort of hurting basketball clubs. And I fear they may do that to the Knicks as well. I know the Knicks are eight and ten, they're not bad this year, blah, 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 all that good stuff. I just don't have any idea how they're gonna score consistently against this Utah team. Because the Jazz force teams to shoot more, and the Knicks like to take it to the hole. They're a they're a paint team. They're gonna have to make some shots if they wanna hang in this thing. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. I would look at the under, except there's also a very real chance the Jazz score a buck 20, because they've just been so good lately. And this, by the way, is why I hate tonight's card. So slight lean to the Clippers, slight lean to the Wizards, and then nothing, really, in that late ball game. I just, ugh, Good gravy. Rough card. But we got a dozen tomorrow, so, you know, at least that's hanging around. Folks, please, if you have a moment, I will beg you. Yes, I, am, I don't have the... I have no shame. I have no dignity. I'm all shame and no dignity. Please, 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 if you like the podcast, drop a five-star review on it. It's very easy to do. If you're listening on your phone right now, open up the podcast app on your Apple-branded mobile device. Go to the search button at the bottom. It's bottom right. Type in Fantasy NBA. And by the time you get to that, this podcast should pop up. But if it doesn't, you can type in the word today. Click on that so it searches. The search results... They'll come up with the show icons. Don't scroll down into the episodes. That screws everything up. Click on Fantasy NBA Today, the show icon, and scroll down. And that's all you have to do. Scroll down to the bottom. That's where the rate and review stuff is. I want to get to 600 ratings and reviews this season, and I think you guys can help me get there. I know there's at least a handful of you that can still do it, and I will love you forever. Please, five-star review, subscribe, Dan's love, all of that in that order. That's how it uh That's how it works. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Please do sign up. Seriously, go sign up for social media. You're missing out on things happening faster than you can get the information anywhere else. Tomorrow, short Tuesday recap, very big Wednesday preview. That's Wednesday show. Hope you'll join us for that one. For now, so long.